We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give a special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Adult Improver series of Perpetual Chess. Uh, for newer listeners, the Adult Improver series is where we take a break from interviewing all these chess big shots, these world champions and esteemed authors and trainers, and we talk with a fellow chess enthusiast and they share their chess stories, hopefully share a few tips of things that have been successful for them in improving their games, improving their enjoyments of the game. And we have a great guest for you that I will be introducing momentarily. But first, I wanted to go through a couple housekeeping items, some things that I sometimes forget to mention, just in case we have any new listeners uh, joining in. So number one, if you're into the Adult Improver interviews, there's a Spotify playlist of only those interviews. So I'll link for that. Um, if you want to check those out first and go through the archive, that's an easy way to do it. There's also a dedicated webpage on Perpetual Chess Pod. 
Com. Number two, if you're interested in appearing as a guest, as an adult improver in particular, or if someone you know you think would be a good guest, then again, I'll link to a web page where you can submit your information or your recommendations information. And they don't have to have some crazy rating gains like our current guest here does. Um, we're just interested in hearing people's stories and how chess uh, intertwines uh, with their lives. Number three, I wanted to give a shout out to Perpetual Chess Patreon subs. Always much appreciated to help keep the lights on here at Perpetual Chess. And in fact, it's been six years since I've doing the pod. And now we have some new five-year sub anniversary Patreon subs. So I wanted to give a quick shout out to those people who've been supporting the pod for so long. Uh, regular listeners may recognize some of these names. John Fernandez, Howard V. Hahn, Tony Rotella, Zhivko Stoyanov, Macaulay Peterson, uh, formerly of The Full English Breakfast, uh, Alex Pejas, Chris L., Christopher Wood, Jerry Wells, and John Hartman. And I also wanted to give a welcome and a thanks to new subs, Joe Sneed, Roy Lopez. I don't know. That's quite a coincidence if that's his real name. But anyway, shout out to Roy Lopez, Francois Legrand, Jim Sutherland, Ryan Garipo, Audie Alcorn, Andrew Ferris, and Blood Toes. I don't think that's your real name, Blood Toes. Anyway, thanks everyone for supporting the pod. If you do support the pod, you can submit questions for people like our guests, uh, as well as join the Perpetual Chess Discord. Um, we occasionally do special events, Zoom calls, stuff like that. So anyway, without further ado, uh, let's welcome our guest. She is a 23-year-old who discovered chess after watching The Queen's Gambit. And she didn't play as a kid, so she picked up the game from scratch at the age of 23. And less than two years later, she's rated 1900 in Chess.com Rapid, including a 600-point gain last year. Now, of course, we are all more than our rating gains or lack thereof. But nonetheless, shout out to our guest. It is uh, amazing progress. And without further ado, let's welcome Cameron to the show. Welcome, Cameron. Thanks, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Sorry for the huge speech. Just got to do some housekeeping once in a while, but I'm happy to have you here on the pod. Yeah, not a problem. Totally understand. <laughs> so Cameron, you sent me some background information and obviously you've got a lot of company of people that either already knew how to play chess and then had their interest sort of um, grow due to the Queen's Gambit or people like yourself that didn't even know how to play the game. So the first thing I was wondering, Cameron, is, okay, you enjoyed the show as I enjoyed the show. Um, a lot of us enjoyed the show. What was your first step beyond watching Queen's Gambit as your interest got peaked from that show? Um, it's... <laughs> It's actually kind of hard to remember exactly what the kicker was. I just, I remember I was just really drawn into the story and it was also really shot so beautifully. And I just wanted to know like what exactly was going on on that screen, um, on, on the boards, which I had no idea. I didn't know how the pieces moved or anything. Um, and so I think like the first sort of thing I did was start watching some videos. I Most of my learning has been um, uh, through like online resources and stuff. And I started playing bots uh, which is helpful because you can switch some settings to allow you to see how the pieces move when you click on them. Uh, so that was helpful just right away from the beginning. Um, and then I played my first online game in April 2021, I believe. Uh, and my rating around then settled around 700. So I, I can't remember exactly how long I'd been playing uh, just like bots before that, before I finally jumped into the pool of real people. Um, but yeah, my I mean, my first steps was really just learning how the pieces moved. And do you remember when you did learn how the pieces move, did you check out a 
YouTuber, like for example, Chess Network has the Chess Fundamentals. You alluded to the bots, which presumably are on Chess.com. Chess.com, of course, has videos embedded within their website. So do you know if it was like from Chess.com or if you just like generic YouTube found someone that explained how the pieces move? Yeah, I think it was, I, I can't remember exactly. I know at a certain point I latched onto the to Gotham Chess um, when I started sort of getting more into the nitty gritty of things and like learning openings. He had some really good 10 minute opening videos that I enjoyed around that time. Um, other than that, yeah, I think I think it was just a lot of times just something from like 2010 that was like, here's how the rook moves. And yeah, very yeah. like <laughs> right. basic board with like terrible audio quality and everything. So, so sounds about right. Yeah. And when you saw Queen's Gambit, were you like, I want to get good at this game? Or were you just like, hmm, maybe I'll find out a little more about this? Like, what was your mindset as you started to to dive in? Yeah, I was I was very tentative. I was in the middle of a very busy semester in college. I was a double major. I had like a full load of classes and I was also working part time. And I have such a like an obsessive personality that mm. I knew that if I got really into this, it was just going to take up all of my time. So I really had to hold myself back from it and just be like, okay, this is just for fun. We'll just kind of see how it goes. And it's just something I want to learn on the side on top of everything else that I'm already doing. Right. Um, so it, it definitely, I didn't really set like these large goals for myself from the beginning. It was much more just for fun. And then kind of as the months went on, I was like, you know what, maybe maybe this could be a little bit more. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, if you have an obsessive personality, sometimes it feels like chess will just find you. you yeah, know, you, you can people try to talk avoid about it. <laughs> getting bit by the chess bug, that is definitely true, it, it, it gets you. Yeah, and I, I'm the same way. I mean, it struck me, I learned how to play when I was six and right away I knew I wanted to play this game a lot, but then, this was the Stone Ages, so that you had to find someone to play with. Um, and I didn't really discover the game again until I was 12. But similar to what you're saying, I've carried that forward. And now, like, whenever, like, I don't have, well, now, now that my son's nine, I do have a video game system in my house. But, like, I never had a video game system in my house as an adult because I knew, like, mm -hmm. I would just play all the time. Oh, yeah, like, exactly. Like, there's definitely... Yeah, there's definitely um, an obsessive strain among most, most chess enthusiasts I've observed. So as you get more into it, you said you had a moment where you said, hmm, maybe this is going to be a bit more serious. So how did that change what you, were, what you were doing? Were you still playing bots? Did you start to play people? And I'm curious, like, how much time you spent on learning about the game as opposed to just playing? Sure. I, I can't remember like the exact timeline. It, it does kind of all blend together. I remember at a certain point, like a goal that I had was like, I think I could get to 1200 on online rapid on chess.com and be like pretty happy with myself. Like, I feel like that's a reasonable goal. Um, but then like I got to 1200 and I just kind of kept going at that point. <laughs> um, I, I think the big kicker of when I started getting a lot more serious about it was about a year ago when I decided to go to the um, local chess club in my city and started playing real people like over the board, which I'd never done before. You know, chess is such a lonely game if you don't have somebody to talk to about it um, with. And so I, I was really struggling with like, okay, if I'm going to be taking this seriously, I feel like I need to be playing like actual people and be able to like have conversations with people who know a little bit more than like just how the pieces move. Um, so I, I was around 1200 when I started playing more like over the board games and started going to club. Well, first of all, I mean, props to you. That's big progress even to get to 1200 in that time before you got there, got to the club. But then when you go to the chess club, of course, 
I've I've interviewed guests who've told uh, similar stories of like their first foray from online to real life. And unfortunately, you hear different reports of like how welcoming an atmosphere it is. I mean, I'm not talking about it necessarily being outright hostile, but a lot of chess players are introverts. So sometimes it can just be um, sort of you're there, but you don't know who to talk to, you know. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, Cameron, what your experience was like when you made it to the chess club. Yeah, I was very lucky when I first arrived. So our chess club is located at a sort of half abandoned mall in the food court. Um, and it's just, you know, a handful of guys with their chess boards. And so I happened to walk up and sort of, I, I wasn't even sure if it was happening because the website that I checked was like kind of out of date. And so I, I happened to walk up and sit down with uh, who was at the time the president of the North Dakota Chess Association, Mr. Todd Wolf. Um, and he is super involved in the North Dakota chess community. He teaches uh, beginner kids like individual lessons. He goes around the state to teach clinics and run tournaments. He's just extremely involved in the scene. Um, and so I sat down and played a game with him uh, and he was extremely welcoming. And eventually I started playing other people and they were similarly actually very welcoming. So I, I, I did have a really good first experience there. And Todd's the one who actually started getting me more involved um, in, you know, I, I ended up starting up a chess club for kids at our local library. And I started sort of helping him out with beginner chess lessons for kids. And so he, he also started hosting more tournaments monthly at our club. And so, yeah, it, around that time, he sort of was helping me get super involved in the community right from the get-go. That's awesome. Well, shout out to Todd, as I've said before. I don't, I don't know him, but mm -hmm. based on your naming, <laughs> um, as I've said before, the, the local tournament directors and club presidents are often unsung heroes. So it's great that he made you feel welcome. And now now we've got like a burgeoning chess star here, <laughs> um, thanks to him, uh, a year later. So you mentioned you got involved with uh, with some local uh youth outreach, uh, doing programs at libraries. I'm curious, Cameron, now that now that chess has taken hold in your life, do you have ambitions or are you already like working in chess or is it more just like sort of a, a way to broaden the scope of uh, of your hobby? Yeah, at this point, it's, it's much more just getting involved in the community, not necessarily having these like large goals, um, you know, beyond sort of what I'm currently doing. Maybe like tournament directing at a certain point is something I've spoken about with some people, but... Um, yeah, the, the individual lessons are like, I'm, I'm a substitute coach, so it's not like a regular thing. I'm just called up when I'm needed. Um, but that's actually been really good, um, just to sort of get like one-on-one -on -one with these kids and help them learn the basics. It's like really rewarding. And then the, you know, the club at the library has been really re rewarding as well. Nice. And uh, are the kids brand new to chess? Like what level uh, are the students generally? Yeah, they're mostly beginners. The even the ones that I coach uh, individually are, I mean, at the most, probably like around 500s. Most of them don't even have USCF ratings. They're not really playing in rated tournaments or anything. Um, and then, yeah, at the club, it's a lot of like teaching how the pieces move or walking around and confirming like, yes, this is checkmate or no, you can just take the queen. It's not protected by anything. So, yeah, mostly beginners. And then as the kids get older, there are some more advanced players that we have fun playing together, too. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, that's that's great. Now I've heard it said, Cameron. I mean, I've said it. Like, it, it's like it's a common topic whether you learn like you learn from teaching. Um, we've we've talked. I've quoted uh, Jesse Cry, who's quoting James Altucher, who's 
quoting someone else this concept <laughs> of uh, one plus one plus one plus one, where you 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 want someone teaching you, you want uh, a peer to practice against, and you want uh, to have a protege sort of as like the optimal way of learning because when, especially with the protege in the process of explaining things, it kind of helps you understand things uh, more thoroughly. That's the idea at least. And I've often said if you're teaching beginners, I'm not sure if that's true. So I'm curious what your take on that is. Does it? Do you feel like it helps your chess? Yeah, that's a great question. I think especially about, well, it was less than a year ago, last spring when I really started, started to get into these things. Um, it was much more helpful for my chess because around then I was like 13, 1400 online. Um, and so my tactics rating specifically was probably incredibly low for somebody at my level. And so I remember preparing for one of those first individual lessons with a tactics book in front of me for the first time. I'd never opened a tactics book in my life. Um, and like I knew the terms, like I knew what a fork was, I knew what a skewer was and all those things, but I hadn't really ever put that into practice in like an intentional way. And I was really struggling just going through the workbook of like, okay, it's taking me like 30 seconds to solve this very simple tactic that I'm supposed to be teaching a kid tomorrow. And so at that point, it was kind of a wake up call of like, okay, my floor of knowledge is very low and I need to like raise that so my skills can come with it. Um, so at that point, I, it was, like I said, like a wake up call for me in that way. I think at this point, um, it's definitely much more for like fun and not, you know, teaching somebody how the pieces move isn't necessarily helping my chess at 1900. Um, but, you know, teaching some of the more advanced tactics or like, you know, if I'll walk through a game with a student or like um, look at longer term ideas that that can sometimes help, too. I, I do like the idea of like, you know, teaching somebody is the best way to learn. And I, I think up until a certain point, it was really helping me last year. Great. Yeah. Now you're certainly getting strong enough where like you can start to explain intermediate ideas. And I do think you'll start to see that bear fruit. By the way, it's called plus minus equals, um, not one plus one plus one. Okay. I was telling Cameron listeners before we record that I just played one of these three day tournaments and my brain is like still mildly fried from it today. So uh, I apologize for past and any future incoherence. Um, and uh, on that note, Cameron, I want to, so you mentioned sort of these kids weren't into tournaments. And I know you've gotten into tournaments. So that's what I want to hear about next. But first, Cameron, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by aimchess.com. Aimchess has an algorithm that gathers your games from the major sites like chess.com and leechess and gives you actionable intel based on the patterns it detects. It can be how you do with certain openings, what aspects of the game you excel at versus need work at. And guess what? Aimchess has a new feature that you should check out right now, just in time for the new year. You can check out your year in review for 2022. You just enter your username and it gives you uh, how many hours you spent chess, how many games you played, how you did with various openings, lots of fun facts uh, that the algorithm is able to gather. So be sure to check out aimchess.com. If you decide to try out subscribing, use the code perpetual30 to save 30%. You can also use the link in the show description to try out aimchess.com. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. 
And we are back. And as we were saying, uh, so Cameron eventually found her way to competitive chess as well. So being that you found sort of the um, Todd so, who runs tournaments, I'm guessing, is that how you discovered them, how you got into them as sort of the next step in your uh, chess evolution, Cameron? Yeah, it was. Uh, so I, I joined the club or started going to weekly club meetings in January of last year. And then I believe we had our first tournament the first week of February. Um, so I had only been going to the club for a couple of weeks at that point. Um, but I, I really just wanted to like jump in and like it, you know, playing over the board when you're used to playing online is like a completely different experience. And so I really wanted to just like sink myself into that um, right away as fast as I could. So we since then, we've had monthly tournaments at the club. So just like at the little mall that we play at. Um, it's we usually do game of 25 games. So we're able to get like four in an afternoon. Um, and they're all USCF rated. Um, I, I also ended up playing the state tournament last April, which was um, longer, like classical time controls over a couple of days. And I really enjoyed that because I do tend to get into time pressure. And so the longer games obviously help you to think a little bit more. And so even in my game of 25 games, I'm, I'm struggling to, you know, not run out my own clock. Um, but yeah, the tournament chess came kind of hand in hand with going to the club and getting more involved in that scene. Okay. Yeah. 25, 25, five is pretty fast. I mean, yeah. so that's a tough way to get used to. I mean, I know you're coming from online where you're probably not playing four hour games, but for, for people who, who've been around for yes. a while, that's considered pretty fast, believe it or not. Um, so let me ask you, Cameron, uh, what struck you about the tournament experience? Uh, what were your expectations and how did it compare to those expectations? I think I was, I, I was very nervous. I get very nervous. I remember like even until just a couple of months ago, like sitting down for the first game of the tournament, my knees would be shaking and I'd just be like completely just terrified out of my mind for some reason. Um, but I, I do enjoy the adrenaline rush in a weird way. And so I, I didn't really mind it as long as I was able to like play some decent games. I, I have said that, you know, I, it's probably changed by now because I'm more used to playing over the board, but my over the board rating was probably like two or 300 points lower than my online rating just because of the fact that I wasn't so used to it. And I think I was also surprised by like the level of like psychological aspects that go into playing somebody in that tournament setting in just like over the board in general, even just a casual club game. Um, you know, I was like forcing myself to move a little bit faster if I noticed my opponent was like glancing away, if I was taking a little bit too long on a move or like leaning back in their chair. Um, so I don't know, just some of the like body language things were kind of something I had to work on keeping my focus in spite of all the things going on around me. Um, I also lost to a kid in my first tournament, which I think is just kind of par for the course at this point with adult yeah. improvers. Uh, yeah. And I, that was all after a couple months, I sort of realized that my opening repertoire needed to be a little bit more solid because everybody I was playing were not playing into the like tricky, trappy lines that I was devoting all my study time to. They were playing like actually good lines and I was just coming out with a worse position. Um, so I, I think that was another takeaway I had too. I definitely want to follow up on that and get sort of into the nuts and bolts of like what you actually did to make this big leap. But I am curious, Cameron, because hearing you describe sort of how nervous you felt like that, that resonates. I still get nervous when I play tournaments. And, you know, I've interviewed grandmasters who describe a similar feeling. Um, 
but I am curious if that's changed for you or, or if you still feel that way when you sit down to play um, over the board. There's definitely still nerves. I, I think it's definitely gotten better. Like I just on a very like physical level, like my knees don't shake anymore. Um, but, you know, I, I still definitely get nerves, especially just in the lead up to the start of the tournament. I, I think it's um, I, I don't know if it's ever something that's going to go away because you, you just put all this pressure on yourself, like leading up to it. And then it's like this big shebang where you're suddenly putting all the stuff you've been working on into practice and it actually counts for something. Um, so I, it hasn't gone away completely, but I've definitely gotten more comfortable um, just playing over the board in general. Um, I think that helps a lot. Uh, and yeah, the the tournament setting, I, I just think the more tournaments you play, the more comfortable you get in that general setting, no matter where it's at. Um, and you're not so worried about like the little etiquette things that I was at the very start of things. Right. Yeah. There's so many little micro things that yeah. like ex- experienced people don't even think about, like from getting the pairings to um, mm-hmm. which clock, which side the clock goes on and setting the clock and yeah, I mean, just a million little things. So right. um, it's it's uh, totally relatable. And one more follow up on the nerves, because, again, this is something that I think about, too. Like the fact that it does feel like it, as you say, it has it feels like it has stakes, you know, as a friend of the pod, FM Nate Solon has written, like the fact that it matters, I think, maybe contributes to um, one getting more nervous. But I'm also curious, like, does does it does it make you uncomfortable? Like, is there a negative element to sort of the stress you or others may feel? Or is it all in all a good to you that, yes, you get nervous, but you also sort of have this sort of elevated environment with greater learning opportunities and, and the chance for sort of um, more lasting achievements? Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you want to play at a competitive level in anything, I think nerves are just something you kind of have to grapple with. And like dealing with those higher stakes, um, I think it's just like a part of any competitive event. Yeah, with chess, it's like it, the people who are able to deal with their nerves better, I think, are generally um, able to go further, honestly, just like somewhat based on that. Um, just, I mean, just from what I've seen, like with kids, I, I've helped out with a couple of scholastic tournaments, you know, the kids who like are slamming their pieces down and then like leaning back confidently, they're the ones who are winning the games. And it's the ones who are much more like visibly nervous, who are like not as confident in their own moves, even if their moves are better, that are ending up like overthinking things, I think. And then, you know, they, they end up losing some of those games. Obviously this, you know, it, just being cocky isn't going to get you to the master level, of course, but um, I, I think there's definitely some value in having the nerves, but I think dealing with that will eventually, if, if you do it enough times, will eventually give you more confidence of like, okay, I've been here before and like, it kind of sucks at the start, um, but it, it's it's all for something that we're working towards together. That was that was very eloquent. That was that was a good <laughs> good explanation. And do you um did, was there anyone whose counsel you sought about it, or was it more you just sort of like worked through it yourself? Yeah, it was definitely kind of an internal thing. I so many of the people I was playing at the club had been playing for so many years that whether they got as nervous as me, I could not tell. You know, it, it's like they they were they had been there for years and years. They they'd been doing this for a long time. So yeah, it, it was it was definitely something I had to work on in my own like thought process, which you know thought process itself is such a huge part of chess. And so it's like, okay, I I need to take a moment and just like calm my nerves, focus on the game, play the board, don't play the opponent, 
Um, and yeah, just, just make that a part of what I was thinking about going into a game. Okay. And overall, are you enjoying the tournament aspect of the game? Would, would you say? Yeah, definitely. I, one of my goals this year is to travel a little farther for a tournament and hopefully like a classical tournament because these, you know, as much fun as the game of 25 ones are, they're not necessarily great for, you know, I, I'm not writing my moves down. So it's, it's not really something that I'm reviewing afterwards. So I also okay. prefer the longer time controls for that reason. So yeah, I, I do really enjoy the tournament chess. I, I like that little rush of adrenaline that I get. And I, I like that it eventually I think will help with my learning. Cause you know, you're, you're sitting with a position for so long in a longer classical game. And there's like, you know, like I said, the, the stakes are so much higher. And so you, you feel so much more connected to those games that you play. And so I think studying those games can really help with improvement too. Yeah, I've I've certainly found that uh, to be the case. Do you have any particular tournaments that you're thinking of attending in terms of uh, when, if and when you do travel? I don't have any lined up quite yet. I'll, I'll probably look for something like a little more local Midwest that I can probably drive to. Um, yeah, I, it'll, and it'll probably be over the summer when I'm not quite as busy. Okay, that makes sense. All right, well, Cameron, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of um of the improvement as as threatened. So, um, so you mentioned you didn't go over your games much, or you can't your tournament games, uh, since since you're not writing them down because they are a faster time control. But is going over your games has that been a staple of your online work um, so far? Yeah, definitely. I so when I do play like serious in quotes games online, I usually play the ten minute time control, which is obviously still fairly fast. Um, but those are the games I usually go over with the with the engine or I'll go over and see, okay, um, you know, where where did I blunder in this particular game or how did I, I use those a lot for checking my opening lines, making sure I'm like correct in my prep. And if I'm facing something that I've never seen before, like how do I go into this like weird middle game structure that I'm not quite sure of. So yeah, I reviewing those longer again in quotes games um is definitely a part of my routine so we're talking 10 minute games from the rapid pool and yes. then how long would you spend reviewing those games um it kind of depends on the game I, typically if i lose a game i spend more time figuring out like why i lost or like where my thought process sort of went wrong um or if i like even saw the loss coming like if i if i knew at a certain point that i was just in a worse position just off of you know i blundered a tactic or something then obviously i'm not going to spend as much time on it cuz it's like okay i just need to you know work on spotting those tactics faster um or you know not blundering a weird like mate in 5 or whatever um but the the i i can't even give you like a specific time that i spend on them it really depends on the game okay but it sounds like probably not more than the amount of time the game takes i'm guessing yeah it's usually not more than like 20 minutes i would say okay and by the way i'm not asking you this like as a way to judge you first of all your progress has been amazing so like no yeah <laughs> who who would i be to judge you it's more just that there's there's a lot of people listening who i'm sure are super impressed with what you've done and they're like i want to know everything that she did and then i'm gonna go do it so yeah that, that, that's why i'm asking such granular questions i would say when i when i did play the classical tournament last year and then i recently played a uh i think they were like 45 minute games uh tournament in november um any like over the board games that i write down i spend much more time going over those games like up to like an hour um just like when i first get back and then often i'll go back to them later um so those ones specifically i'll, I'll spend a lot more time on uh and and those 
uh, do you have, do you use like the online algorithms like Game Chess or the chess.com and um, game review, or are you just looking on your own and trying to figure stuff out? I usually, so what I do is I put it into the computer database, whether I, I think I've got a database going with uh, on Lee Chess and just sort of see like where the bar was at certain points in the game yeah. where I, I thought were like specifically like difficult positions or like, okay, I remember thinking that I was probably like, about a pawn up here, even though material was equal or wh whatever it was, and just see if I'm right. Um, and then, you know, sort of go from there, maybe look at the openings database or whatever. Okay. So you, you figured out so many little details, you know, like something like that for someone who didn't even play two years ago. Like, <laughs> how did you figure that out? Uh, like I said, a lot of like watching videos, There, there's some great videos out there about like how to review your games. And I, I think chess.com specifically makes it really easy if, you know, not, I'm not going to sit here and chill for them, but like the game review feature is really helpful because it, especially for like lower beginner or intermediate level players, it tells you like, okay, this was where you blundered the game away. And this is like what you could have done differently. I think the problem is that at a certain level, if you don't have a coach, um, it's maybe harder to see like why a particular move was a blunder, which I definitely have struggled with and still continue to struggle with. So I think a lot of it is like kind of going through the line that they're showing me of like, okay, why does this lose material or like sort of make the position worse or whatever? Um, and kind of decide for myself whether that's like useful information or, you know, if it's like some weird computer line that no human would ever play. And have you worked with or considered working with a coach at all? I... <laughs> I usually consider it when I am at my lowest, when I've just tilted away, you know, a dozen <laughs> points or so, two dozen points. Uh, I, I have not worked with the coach. I luck, I'm lucky to be able to, at the local club, have a lot of stronger players where I can sort of talk about the games that we play afterwards or, you know, go through different lines and things like that on more of a casual basis. So I sort of think of that as my coaching, but I, I am very self-motivated. And so I've sort of kept myself to a regimen of like, okay, if I were my own coach, this is like what I think I need to be working on um, and keeping myself to that. Gotcha. And how many hours a week would you say you're, you're spending on chess, Cameron? Because I mean, again, it's so, such impressive progress. <laughs> a week? Uh, gosh, I, I can't do the math. I probably spend uh, something like 20 to 30 hours. It, it's something like three hours a day on average, I would say. Um, you know, sometimes more, sometimes less. If I'm doing a lot of stuff at the, if I have the day with the kids club or whatever, then I'm maybe not necessarily spending as much time on my own chest just because I'm kind of chest out at the end of the day. Um, right. But yeah, I, for a while I had a pretty strict like three hour day regimen where I was doing like an hour of puzzles, an hour of playing games, and then an hour of uh, studying openings or end games. I had shared with Patreon subs what you wrote about your background that uh, that you were working on improving your thought process and how would you describe your thought process when you first learned the game now and what it would be like in the future and how, how you worked on that? Yeah, thought process has been huge. Um, I, I mean, just going back, there there were things that I, I, I remember playing so selfishly at a certain point where I, I was going back through like a game I had at when my online rating was like a thousand and like, I just completely missed that my opponent was setting up like a battery checkmate for like three moves in a row. And then I just like let them checkmate me. And so I was, the the thought process as far as like what my opponent was doing was not really there. 
And so once I sort of realized that that was a weakness of mine, I sort of started incorporating that more into the thought process. I think a lot of people maybe want like more of like a checklist type thing, which I don't necessarily have. It's really things that I'm like working on in the moment. So for example, right now, I've been really bad about having time pressure and getting uh, like just having bad time management. Um, And so I've been, part of my thought process has been after every single move, I look at the clock and I see whether I'm like on time or I'll set goals for myself. Like, okay, I I don't wanna be more than a minute below my opponent's time at any given time during a 10 minute game. Um, And so it's like, okay, if I'm straying away from that, I need to make my next couple of moves a little bit quicker and, you know, just kind of work that into the thought process. I think working on tactics puzzles too has helped sort of streamline everything because even like a year ago, I I really had a very minimal understanding of tactics and wasn't able to like recognize like a fork if my opponent put their pieces in a bad place on the board. I, I couldn't spot that instantly the way I can now. And so the thought process sort of shifted from like, okay, scanning the position every time they make a move to see, is there a tactic? Is there this? Is there that? Um, to more of like, okay, let's let's take a peek. Okay, there's nothing. Now let's look at like long-term plans. Let's look at the pawn structure. Um, is this going to be like a good end game for me if we trade everything down in the center here? Um, just sort of more long-term like positional things like that is sort of where my thought process is at now. Very insightful. It sounds like you have a very sort of analytical mindset. Um, it makes me wonder, Cameron, like, do you have like a competitive background, a gaming background? Like, is there any prior hobby that you feel like has informed your sort of very clinical and uh, I must say impressive approach to, to chess improvement? <laughs> so I was an English major in college, which is very different from like the STEM field right. that most people come from. Um, my like obsession throughout a lot of my like childhood and into my teenage years was writing. And so I, I, I mean, uh, I'm still a writer. I, I write fiction. I'm actually taking a course through Harvard Extension School on um, creative writing, trying to get into that program. Um, so yeah, creative writing is still like a huge part of my life. And so uh, like having that same obsession that I have with chess, I've pretty much always had with the writing thing. And so that was also very analytical. I, w- I was looking at like, different types of plot structures and things. And then, you know, every night I would have a routine where I would sit before I went to bed, I had to write, you know, a thousand words or write for an hour or something like that. Um, so yeah, the, I think weirdly, the, like the analytical thinking sort of comes from the creative side of my life before this. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say that doesn't strike me as, as surprising or odd at all. I mean, it's not an accident that there's like, a million chess books, you know, yeah. <laughs> like chess players enjoy writing and there is something similar, like the the ability to sort of constantly edit what you've written is similar in a sense to the the ability to sort of constantly attempt to um, streamline your thinking process in chess. Um, do you have favorite writers in the, the non-chess category? Anyone you particularly admire? <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so many. Unfortunately, since I've gotten into chess, I have not had a huge opportunity of time to read more fiction books. Um, I think probably my standing, excuse me, my standing favorite at this point is uh, Barbara Kingsolver, uh, The Poisonwood Bible. I think it's a fantastic book. I wrote a big paper on it in college. Um, yeah, I, I I typically enjoy like modern literary fiction is kind of where I'm at right now. 
Nice. Yeah, sounds good to me. And did you did you reach out and grab uh, Walter Tevis's The Queen's Gambit once once you watched the show? <laughs> I definitely did. Yes, and I did enjoy it. I so I also majored in communication in college, and so my um, sort of amateur filmmaking background was like, I wonder like how this went from you know script or book to screen, and so uh, that was also very interesting to read. That I, I enjoyed the book as well. Excellent. All right. Well, Cameron, I've enjoyed this digression, but we got to get back to chess improvement. But first, we got to take one more break and uh, hear from our sponsors. Perpetual Chess is proud, as always, to be brought to you in part by Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, is known for their move trainer technology, which utilizes spaced repetition to help you remember tactical patterns and opening sequences. They have a huge library of courses for whatever aspect of your game you want to work on. Some of their new courses include a course on the Tarash defense to D4, which is a good choice if you're looking for a dynamic opening against one D4. It's by Super Grandmaster Jordan Von Forrest. Speaking of Super Grandmaster, former world champion and legendary trainer Rustam Kazimjanov has a course out on the C3 Sicilian. If you're newer to chess, be sure to check out Friend of the Pod. I am Andres Toth's 1D4 for beginners. And of course, they've got tactics courses too. They have stuff you can check out for free. So if you have not already, make sure you go to chessable.com and keep an eye on their ever-growing supply of quality chess courses. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back and we are ready. I do find I could talk about literature with Cameron for for a while, but we'll bring it back to to chess improvement. Um, I want to hear more about, so you mentioned earlier, the three tenets of your game that ideally you were spending an hour per day on um, tactics and games and openings. Um, We've touched on tactics. Again, you got to do the work, but I think that it's the most intuitive thing in terms of how to work on it and openings to a lesser extent, which we'll get to. But let's go to end games. How did you decide when you decided you wanted to work on end games? How did you approach that, Cameron? So the end games thing came about because I realized I was losing a lot of games in the end game that uh, were like theoretical, like I, I should have won, but I didn't know like the the way or or drawn, but I should I didn't know the exact way to do so. Um, and so I, I started doing some, I think just some like drills and watching some videos online. Um, I know uh, last fall, Daniel Naraditsky started putting out a really great endgame series. Um, so I, I watched a bunch of those videos probably like half a dozen times. Um, just fantastic to get the information in my head again and again and again. Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, he's great. Um, yeah, and then I've also been working through the, uh, what's it called? 100 Endgames You Must Know. Um, I'm in the middle of that one, but it's, it's really interesting because it's like super like basic things like, you know, a minor piece versus a rook or things like that where it's like solved sort of endgame but you need to know how to do it or you know you need to know the very simple like king versus one pawn or things like that um so so that's been a lot of like drilling those ideas over and over just so i'm like more confident going into the end game because before i i would trade down just because like that's what intermediate players do you'd make equal equal trades and then you'd kind of see where things go in the end game 
Um, but I would I would get to the end game and then feel like very not confident in the way I was playing. And so I wanted to just sort of find more confidence of like, okay, I know how to do this and I'll I'll be able to win a one position and I'll able be able to like hold a draw against like a single pawn in the rook file or things like that. So And do you enjoy like you're spending three hours doing these three sort of distinct uh, branches of chess. Do you enjoy them all? I would. <laughs> I kind of enjoy the end games less. I I definitely like the. I like studying the openings more, just because I I think I I don't really know if there's a reason. I from the beginning I really liked studying like traps and things like that, and so still whenever I get like a fun random trap that I learned in a game, it, it's really satisfying that like, oh, I know this like eight move series of right. moves that will like trap the queen or whatever. Um, so I, I think that's why I really started to like openings from the beginning. Um, but yeah. I also I didn't just, want to preemptively like plant the idea that it sounded boring yeah. <laughs> to, to study all those end games, but no, end games but, are uh, so boring. I, <laughs> I, I, it's just like, you need to know them. And so I, I do make myself sit down at the board and like go through and like move the king, move the single pawn and all those things. Um, but especially like in a longer game too, by the time you get to the end game, you're just so exhausted from having played the rest of the game. Right. And so I often find myself losing focus when I'm playing over the board in in the end game. Uh, so that's another, you know, thought process thing that I have to keep going back to. It's like, okay, I I got to focus if I'm actually going to like do the things I've learned here. Yeah, and if anyone listening loves loves end games, you know, I'm I'm not trying to offend you, and like more power to you because that gives you a competitive advantage. But hearing you discuss like that sort of discipline, Cameron, where you're like, all right, this isn't my favorite aspect of the game, but I want to get better, and this is what it takes. I'm curious, like, wh- what's your why? Why put like Okay, I mean, this is this is still your hobby. Um, you, you've got other interests, as you've alluded to. So, what motivates you to push that hard? Where you're like, not only am I going to spend twenty hours a week on this game, but I'm even going to do the parts of it that I don't enjoy as much. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really about like why I'm playing chess in the first place, which I don't really know if I have an answer other than that, like I was bitten by the chess bug and now I'm obsessed. Right. Um, but yeah, I think it, it really just is like, I want to get better. And I think especially playing over the board, it's like, I really enjoy the feeling of winning, um, which obviously like who doesn't. Um, and I, I think it's so frustrating. Like, for example, when I lose in the opening or if I get a terrible position out the opening, I oftentimes will be extremely frustrated and like beat myself up because it's like, okay, I spend so much time studying the openings and I enjoy it so much, like why did this fall apart for me in this instance? And so then that makes me go back. And the same sort of thing was happening with the end games where it's like, I was, I felt I had played like such a good game and then it suddenly fell apart and I, I just really didn't like that feeling. And so to sort of alleviate so- some of that, I mean, I'm still not great at end games. I, I think it takes kind of a lifetime to master. Um, but I, I think that's been a big part of it is just like, I, I kind of want to make more of a name for myself, at least in my local community. Um, and I mean, being the only, pretty much the only woman who ever goes to the club, there's a lot more eyes on me anyway. And so I, mm-hmm. I want to at least be good and be like winning my games if people are watching. What has that experience been like? Um, so you, you said there's more eyes on you. Do you feel like you get extra attention, extra people talking to you? Do you feel like, do have people made rude comments? Um, I'm just just curious. I've actually, I've had a very good experience. I, I haven't had any like weirdos like making strange comments about me, which which has been really nice because, I mean, just reading like, for example, Jen Shahadi's Chess Queens, there, there's a lot of that out there. 
Um, so I, yeah, I feel very fortunate to not have experienced any of that at this point. But there are, I mean, playing in the middle of a mall, you know, there'll be walkers walking by, like old couples or whatever, and somebody will say to my opponent, like, is she beating you? And they won't say that to mm. anybody else in, the, in right. the club. And it's like, yeah, or, the, you know, they'll walk by and say, like, I watched the Queen's Gambit. Do you, do you know about that? And it's like, well, yeah, I, I, I do. And so, <laughs> yeah, just like little comments like that where it's like clearly, like, I am the spectacle at certain points. And maybe that's just me kind of being full of myself, but I, I definitely do notice like a little bit more comments about me um, or directed at me, um, but it hasn't been anything like weird or strange or anything. Well, I'm glad to hear it. And it's probably not just in your head. <laughs> it probably uh, really does um, exist. So yeah. bringing it back to your chess study. So we've got the end games down. We, we basically know what you do with tactics, although feel free to illuminate if there's more you'd like to share. But And you mentioned your enthusiasm for openings, but you also mentioned that you had to tweak your repertoire uh, it sounded like you had to, um, the Stafford Gambit wasn't working in tournament chess based on what you said earlier. Right. Um, is, so what changed and what's your overall, you mentioned your enthusiasm for openings, but how do you actually study them? Yeah, I've, I, I've always had like a very good memory. Like when, you know, I, I never really had difficulty in like, you know, going through high school with like tests because I just like look at the terms the night before and be able to memorize them. And so I think that like memorization part of my brain is sort of stimulated when I'm going through openings and like memorizing a bunch of different lines. Uh, at a certain point, I was playing more like the sort of games that you'd find in the videos that are like, here's how to win in eight moves. But I would only, you know, know the one line to win in eight moves and then get a terrible position afterwards um, if they didn't play into those eight moves. Uh, so again, it, it was very similar to the to the end games where I was like, okay, I'm losing games because of this. I don't know the middle game plans um, in these like weird gambit type openings, or you know, trying to trap the queen. That's just never that's just never going to happen when they're not playing into the theory at this level. Uh, so I switched my repertoire from just kind of like random trappy openings to I play the London and I play the French, which are like the most boring openings known to man, essentially. But I'm like, if I'm going to be studying the openings a lot, I at least want to like get an equal position out of them and get into a middle game. Cause it's really frustrating to like go and play a rated game and like be ready to sit there for like an hour longer and then lose in the first, you know, 10 moves or something like that. So I at least yeah. want to get to the middle game and then, you know, hopefully get to an end game and win it. <laughs> and do you feel like, do you have a style in how you play that you've identified? Um, I, I tend to be much more solid. So like, you know, the, I, I've, I had tried like some E4 openings probably less than a year ago and it, the E4 stuff just like never worked out for me. So like I'm D4 all the way as annoying as it is to deal with it from black side. Um, and yeah, so with the, it, it's basically just like lines that there's not a ton of theory. Um, but I know pretty deep into those several opening lines that I play, like, Cambridge Springs is the what I play against the Queen's Gambit if possible. And um, yeah, I, I would say my style is generally more solid, but I do know like opening traps in each of my openings. And so it's like, if I see that you're going into this, I will definitely like go into this sharp line that you're gonna have to defend, so. And you mentioned that you have a good memory and that obviously does does give one a leg up, but what is your approach to memorizing openings? Are, are you using 
chessable? Are you watching YouTube opening videos? Are you just like using the opening explorer from chess.com? Like, how do you learn the next move uh, in a given line? Yeah, it's kind of shifted. I, I really started just by like watching the videos on the particular opening I wanted to play over and over and over again and like almost essentially like memorizing the way that the person was like saying the moves type of thing. Um, at this point, the way I study, I, I've also done some chessable courses. I'm so like picky about my openings though that um, I, as like useful as the p couple that I picked out were, um, I don't use that quite as often because it's like, I'm not going to study this line that I'm just never going to play because I don't want to like, you know, give up my bishop pair or whatever the weird offbeat reason is that I don't want to play this particular line. Um, so anyway, what now, what I do now is I have my uh, physical board and I'll sit down and I'll sort of try to have a particular opening that I'm studying each day of the week. And I'll go through lines that either I saw in a game and I wasn't quite sure what to do against or that like, I studied a while ago, but I'm not, you know, I, I don't quite have it ingrained in the memory yet and just play them out for myself three times in a row or however many times it takes for the memory to kick in. And then if I forget my line or whatever, I have a Leeches database thing that I'm constantly sort of updating with the different lines that I want to play. It is a lot of like based off computer and opening databases. Okay. And do you use a physical board when you're reviewing your openings or are you all digital? I've been trying to use the physical board more. I think it helps with like incorporating like the tactile into the into yeah. the whole thing. I think that helps with the memorization for sure. I think you're right. Did you learn that experientially or is it something you read? I think I read it somewhere. I can't remember exactly where, but that that sounds like something I read I heard in like a psychology class or something. <laughs> Yeah, I heard something on the Huberman Lab podcast recently. Okay, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I was I was thinking out and I think I, I need to do it's I've mentioned many times on the pod because I have a family and often if I'm doing chess stuff the the kids are around it's not like mm -hmm. you know, I'm not in like a uh you know, quiet library or anything that I'm right. disinclined to get out a chess set, but I I think I need to make it happen. Yeah, I've got mine just sitting in the middle of my bedroom floor right now, so it's just it's just kind of there. Queen's Gambit esque. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like I have to step over it to get to my closet, so I might as well use it. <laughs> Are you seeing the chess pieces on the ceiling, or, or not? Not, not, <laughs> not yet. yet. Not yet. I haven't started <laughs> yeah, the drugs yet either. <laughs> Twenty five hundred for that. Yeah, for yeah. That yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, um, and and Cameron, again, I have to say, I mean, it's incredible progress that you've made. It's super impressive. So to me, looking from the outside, like, it's not crazy to think like, you never know, like, the longer you and in your Twitter post that I saw that that made me reach out to you, you, you said, like, you'd gain 600 points in a year, this will probably never happen again, mm -hmm. which I found, I mean, admirable. Um, I mean, first of all, it's an outlandish gain. No one listening should feel bad if uh, <laughs> if they, they haven't made any progress, particularly as you get older and have, have more responsibilities. But also just that you had this sort of wisdom that that this is unusual. Like, what, what framed that for you? How did you know that? Well, I think, especially around the like context of posting that tweet, I was seeing a lot of other people sort of post their rating gains for the year. And like, I, I don't want to like make people like feel bad <laughs> of right. like, you know, that I'm putting in a lot of time and like the, this might not necessarily work for everybody. And it just, you know, a lot of it is luck and, you know, the way I've been involved in the community, that's not always possible for everybody. Um, so yeah, I, 
I mean, if I continued and I got another 600 points, I'd be like a grandmaster on chess.com next year. And I just don't think that's going to be quite in the cards. Um, but I have tried to sort of set my sights like, you know, 100 or 200 points higher than what my like actual goal is. So, you know, when I was 1400, I was watching videos meant for 1600s, 1800s, things like that. Um, just sort of always aiming just a little bit higher than I thought my actual level was or could be. Um, that's been kind of part of it. It's a good approach. And and how does your OTB game compare to your online game? Do you feel like you're as strong when you sit down? Like, are, are, are your ratings comparable? Definitely not. I started, well, my very first, like, provisional rating was, like, 900, I believe. Um, and it's only gone up to 1,300 at this point. So it, there's still quite a bit of just, like, separation there. Um, I I think partially it's because a lot of people in my area are just like criminally underrated. So, I, you yeah. know, I'm playing people who are around my USCF rating of 1300, but like me, they're like 18, 19, 2000 on chess.com. And so it's like, we're, we're exchanging draws, but we're not, we're just kind of tossing points back and forth where really we should be making massive USCF rating gains as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of stunted it is playing the same people over and over again and not really necessarily getting the rating points that we all deserve. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't make it to any big tournaments, you at least got to get the other people in your town to make it so that <laughs> yeah, so I can their farm rating, them. <laughs> yeah, that, their ratings will change. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I don't, you know, I've, again, this is a topic that's come up on the podcast, but I just feel like ratings generally, um, not, not to belabor the point, but a, a rating for, I feel like for a long time, a given rating, whether USCF or FIDE, correlated pretty strongly to like a certain if you wanted to use an accuracy accuracy score on chess.com as a proxy like it would correspond to a certain level and now i feel like the the levels are all changing um and i do think some travel might help with that but i also just think like lee chess obviously their rating system is hundreds and hundreds of points higher than like the USCF yeah. or the FIDE system. Chess.com doesn't have quite that reputation um, in terms of how their rating correlates, but I do think there's there's still something. Um, but obviously it doesn't, you know, I'm not saying this to, uh, to, <laughs> to knock you off your pedestal. You've made amazing progress, but it's just like, I, it's just a, a question we don't have the answer to as of now. Sure. And it's also just a whole different experience to play over the board. So I, like, I, I don't think like, whatever my actual rating, like whatever that means, whether it's, you know, FIDE, if like I were to get the perfect rating that represents my skill at this particular moment, I don't think it's necessarily 1900, 2000 at this point, but I think it's certainly higher than 1300. So, I mean, right. none of the systems are really perfect. Um, but yeah, I, I think it also, you know, the weird disparity has to do with like way more people are playing online than are playing over the board. Like I, there's some people in my state who only ever play the state tournament once a year. And so it's like their their online rating could be skyrocketing and their USCF is just always kind of staying the same or maybe going up a couple hundred points or so every time they play. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's that difference as well. Yeah, yeah. There, there's just a lot of variables. So um, not worth obsessing over. Just make sure generally, as not just you, everyone, myself, you're enjoying the process. Um, yes. And, you know, and... You, your rating might go up, it might not, but um, it's not the most important thing by a long shot. 
A um, couple more questions, Cameron. Um, this has been really fascinating. I've really enjoyed uh, hearing. I mean, I'm just, I'm impressed. I guess it kind of goes together, but I mean, I'm impressed with how quickly you've gained rating, but also just sort of how how quickly you've sort of uh, wrapped your head around the whole chess world, I find almost uh, <laughs> equally impressive. So I'm curious who, who you've mentioned Naroditsky and uh, Levy Rosman, of course, two of the greatest. Uh, who... Who, who else do you watch on YouTube? Like, And if there's any books that you've read that have been formative, like what chess content have you found the most helpful? Yeah, I recently have been watching a lot more videos from Hanging Ponds. He's got great opening stuff. Um, just like, I thought of him when you were talking about openings. Yeah, he's yeah, very good. Yeah, huge repertoires. He's great. Yeah. Um, I also, there's, Eric Rosen is really entertaining to watch. He also has like, because I play the London, he's got a series where he teaches Andrea Botez the London, um, or doesn't teach her, she already knows it, but sort of goes through different lines and they sort of talk about it for like an hour uh, lecture for each of the three videos. Um, so I've watched those couple of videos several times. And I mean, Eric is just a fantastically entertaining man in himself. Um, yeah, the speaking of Botez sisters, they... Frankly, I think they were a huge part of their their like Botez Abroad series got me excited to like go actually play over the board because nice. I that's great. I saw them you know beating up these old European men on on their tour and like parks or in bars or whatever, um, and I, I just it looked like so much fun. So yeah, shout out to them. They're fantastic as well. Um, yeah, I there there's a lot of great creators out there. I, I those are just the ones that come off the top of my head. Uh, as far and as are you watching Twitch? Sorry to cut you off. Um, did you want to finish what you were saying? I was going to go into books. So if you're going to ask about Twitch, go ahead. Uh, I'll come back to that. But <laughs> okay. I was I was curious also, like, are you watching Twitch streams as well or more like uh, YouTube clips? Um, I'll occasionally catch the random Twitch stream. Uh, I, I think like commentary of like Grandmaster Games is really entertaining to watch, but also just like great players playing blitz late at night i think is really fun too um yeah. so yeah just just kind of whatever whenever i'm you know kind of bored and just looking for some chess entertainment i'll i'll see who's who's streaming nice okay and books did have you i mean obviously you mentioned you're an avid reader but it also sounds like you're you're doing well with visual learning in chess so have there any have there been any uh chess books that have really helped you yeah well i mentioned the 100 and games you must know i think that's probably been one of the most helpful. I really struggle actually going through, I, I've tried to do some like um, specific like Grandmaster games books or, you know, specific to like different openings. And I, well, I think those are like good, like overall, they're, they've never really become like a huge part of my study plan. Um, just because I think a lot of times if you don't have a coach there to explain things or if the book isn't written particularly for like an intermediate level, um, I think it's really hard to like understand why this particular move, like 15 moves into the game was good if you don't have somebody there to explain it to you. So yeah, it, it has been a lot more online learning. The book that I use for tactics for like my students is the um, Everyone's First Chess Workbook, the Peter Giannato's book. Shout um, out to Peter, great book, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely excellent. I, I use it all the time. And that was also helpful for me when I was first starting the lessons to be like, yeah. okay, I kind of need to like figure this out for myself. Um, yeah, and then the other one that I have enjoyed the most is called Best Lessons of a Chess Coach. It's really good. It goes through, like, I think 10 different opening, or opening, 10 different games, uh, maybe more. I, I haven't read it in a while, but it's sort of written as, like, sort of a, like, Socratic dialogue type thing. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah where it's, book. like, going back and forth with 
question and answers of like what potentially the student could be asking and you being the student and wrong answers too are included. It's very, it's very accessible. Yeah, and that's by uh, FM Sunil Wiramantri, Hikaru's uh, stepdad, yeah. legendary uh, proprietor of um, many chess programs in the greater New York area. Um, and I would say that's best for anyone wondering, probably, I would say, I mean, again, all the rating scales are jumbled, but I think <laughs> 1300, what I would consider 1300chess.com to to 1900 is sort of the, oh, yeah. the sweet spot. Does that sound about right to I, you, Cameron? Yeah, that's like right where I started reading it. And I, I reread it. Um, I, I I think the first time I read it was around 1300. And then I reread it around like 1600 or something like that. So yeah, that's like perfect. <laughs> cool. Um, well, one more question that comes to mind, Cameron, is like, what do the people close to you think of the fact that this game has taken over your life? <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> um, I So like, I don't have a lot of or I don't really have any friends who are like super into the game which is one reason why I eventually started going to the chess club so I could like talk to people about the game because I I really was getting a lot of like you're just obsessed aren't you and I'm like yeah "Yeah, I am (laughs) and so yeah when it's eating up all your free time it's kind of more of like a joking like making fun of me for it of like okay what are you doing are you playing chess on your phone it's like yeah that's what I'm doing (laughs) Um, but I actually I've gotten one of my friends to come help me with the kids chess club and so she's gotten a little more involved and then another friend who doesn't live in town but she's started playing online games and we've i've kind of like been not like coaching her but like sort of teaching her like the basics just when we're like talking on the phone um and she she actually wants to get into potentially even tournament chess so she's she's into it as well so i've i've converted a few people but it's definitely still a weird thing for you know anybody who knew me well like even like two three years ago just knows nothing about this part of my life now and it, i'm sure it's just like really weird to see like this whole thing suddenly happening of i'm obsessed with chess <laughs> yeah and that is one good thing getting bringing it back to the conversation about otb versus online like i'm impressed with your online uh progress like you know it to me it's striking you know but if you just tell your friend like yeah i'm spending 20 hours a week on this and i'm getting really good they're just like yeah yeah whatever <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it doesn't really meet the yeah people don't really understand what that exactly means <laughs> yeah all right well cameron this has been awesome a really inspiring story and i'm excited to see like what happens in in coming years um i hope you're able to to maintain your passion for chess as well as anything else going on in your life i'm curious if you have any sort of closing advice for anyone maybe that's in in the shoes that you were in a year and a half ago maybe like chess has just taken hold um and you know maybe they're still rated below a thousand uh, is there anything you wish you'd done differently or any sort of general advice you would give? Yeah, I would say don't be afraid to like play a lot of games and lose a lot of games because, you know, the more you lose, the the more you're going to learn and all that jazz, whatever you've heard it a million times. Um, but one thing I wish I'd done maybe earlier is uh, last summer I started I, for about like, I don't know, six or eight weeks. At the end of every week, I would go through all the games I'd lost and I would just make bullet points of like, where exactly it went wrong for me in that particular, in my rapid games I was playing. Um, And then eventually I was sort of able to like look at all that data and see like, okay, I was, I blundered in time pressure. I need to work on my time management. Or, you know, there was like the tactics thing where I just wasn't seeing very simple tactics that could have won me the game much earlier. And so I started doing like so much more puzzle rush and just like drilling those tactics that I didn't learn as a kid. So they didn't really stick with me. Um, So that was a huge part of it. So I think, yeah, really like, 
making your improvement really concrete of like what you are struggling with specifically in your games rather than just like, oh, I know I should be doing tactics, so I'll do like one round of Puzzle Rush Survival and call that a day. Um, that's, you know, it's not necessarily gonna help you like drill the really basic tactics that you need to know um, and, you know, get you to that level that where you wanna be. I think also if you do have a way to get involved in some sort of over the board chess, I think that's a really good way to just get better kind of naturally because it forces you to think in a different way. And it also gets you, you know, more involved in the community and you have more people to talk about chess with. Um, so I'd recommend that as well. Great closing advice. Although I do have one follow-up, Cameron, based on on what you said. So you mentioned sort of gathering your games at the end of a, the week and reviewing them. Like, are you also reviewing them when they're over or are you more sort of like the binge chess and review later uh, approach? So yeah, I, I do review them or even like during that time where I was like very specifically doing that, I would review them the moment they were over too, just to sort of okay. like go back through and see where my blunders were. But then, yeah, I was just kind of a skim through at the end of the week and sort of see, okay, where, where did everything go wrong? Yeah, but as you mentioned, that sort of taking the big picture look, taking a step back and looking for patterns in sort of the the mistakes that one makes, so that's that's really important work. Um, awesome. Well, Cameron, again, super impressive. Congratulations on on your early success. Um, anything um, anything to add? If people want to follow your journey, is there a way you'd want them to do it? Um, to follow you on social or anything like that? Yeah, uh, my Twitter is probably the best way. Uh, I don't, what is it, even is my username? At Cameron Heidi, <laughs> spelled okay. with K and Y. And then- I'll link uh, to it. Yeah, I, I'm i hoping eventually to, once I hit 2000, um, sort of get into the YouTube side of things and maybe start making some videos for beginners and then also make sort of more of a documentary style of my whole journey and everything with footage of me reaching every next milestone and things like that. So people can always- also look out for that hopefully soon. Great. Well, I'll definitely be tracking your progress on your continued progress on uh, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks again for sharing, uh, sharing your journey so far. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, but most of all, thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the... Podcast Network. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.